Hey guys, I'm Nancy. And I'm Anna. And today we have Aisha as our guest. So Aisha is currently in Australia and we all used to go to the same school back in Eunice. Um, Aisha, could you introduce yourself? Where are you from and where are you currently? Um, so I'm from Australia. I was in Eunice, Hanoi with Anna and Nancy for a little while. Um, and right now I'm sort of just hanging around Canberra in different spots. Um, so, so you're just, you're hanging around Cambridge. Um, do you have like a, a stable living situation or how is, what is that, um, situation? Um, at the moment I've been living out of home for about maybe eight, eight or nine months since, um, late August, 2020. And, um, I've been bouncing around different places, but, um, most of my income is from Centrelink, which is just government money. And so once they cut the COVID supplements, I wasn't able to afford um, rent for most places. And so I've sort of been crashing at friends' houses and then sleeping outside when I need to. And if you're comfortable sharing, could you tell us a little bit about how you came to the decision to live independently? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of um, history of mental health with uh, in my parents and a lot of the time that led to what um, I guess is considered abuse by a lot of um, by a lot of um, countries laws. I haven't legally or um, I haven't been emancipated. I haven't legally formed any court orders or documents, but there was a lot of domestic violence, a lot of assault, a lot of sort of mental trauma. Um, so what is your relationship to your parents like now? Are you guys on good terms or? Um, so I was planning on continuing a relationship with my mom, but not my dad. Um, my dad and my mom split maybe four years ago, five years ago, something like that. And I don't see my dad at all, even when I was living with my mom, but um, she doesn't, she's not very accepting of who I am um decisions I make and she's not very accepting of me moving out of home and so we've cut contact for the time being and and what about your sister are you guys still close yeah she was my biggest support through high school and I'm helping her through her high school and managing life as a teenager so, so she and I'm in close contact and yeah so how do you support yourself financially now like um um, so at the moment, I'm on um, Centrelink payments, which I'm pretty sure only Australia calls it Centrelink, but it's government money that they put aside to help out people um, like me who need it for whatever reason it is. Um, but that's not quite enough. So I'm with a few different homelessness programs and a few different um, youth um, independent living programs who help out with sort of um, food vouchers and food hampers and that sort of thing. They give you blankets and sleeping bags when you need it, but majority of my income comes from Centrelink. Um, so Centrelink is like a government um, kind of organization. Is it like a nonprofit that helps minors or adults or? Um... Um, it's for anyone who's in financial trouble, you can apply to make a claim that could be a disability payment, that could be a carer's payment, that could be what I'm on, which is called the youth allowance. Um, anyone who's deemed um, unreasonable to live at home, home being 
um, the place that you're living before you moved out. Um, you're eligible if you pass certain um, checks and certain sort of criteria. Yeah, I see that. Um, oh, sorry. I see that um, you, so there's Centerlink and there's also, you said you stayed at like a lot of friends' houses and other people. Um, how have people like helped you along the way and in what ways? Um, what other so ways, yeah. When I first moved out, I moved straight into um, some friends of mine place. They're both adults, but they're close friends of mine. Um, and I lived with them for a while. They were very, very supportive because at that point I needed a lot of help with my mental health because I was struggling with a lot of things at the time. Um, and they sort of, they understood that even though they were both adults, what I needed in my life wasn't um, an authoritative authoritative thing. I needed just sort of friends. And so they didn't sort of, push rules I didn't push boundaries and I was um able to live there as a tenant rather than as their kid which sort of helped a lot because um at this point the only thing that I feel that I have is my independence and so it's really really important to me that I'm able to have farm autonomy over all of my decisions and that was really really helpful for them to do that for me so you've talked about um government aid um you've talked about your friends helping you do you think in or could you explain how, if it did, as the pandemic affected um, your situation living independently? Yeah, so um, Australia or um, Canberra wasn't hit at all. We had, I think it was two deaths um, in total in Canberra. Wow. Um, and yeah, we, we managed it pretty well, which is really, really good. We had... Um, I think it was, not sure who it was, but during the pandemic, um, I've sort of struggled a lot to be able to find places to do simple things, kind of like public bathrooms so that I can wash my face or find cafes that are willing to just let me sit there. Um, but personally, I haven't been affected by COVID very much at all because Canberra's managed it really, really well. And that's great. Yeah, Hanoi, we're going through like our third or fourth wave. And this is like the biggest wave and everything's locked down, which means like on a two week um, social distancing rule. I don't know how it is in California yeah. right now. Oh, it's great. <laughs> is it great? <laughs> it's great. Everyone's getting the vaccine. So like a lot of things are opening up again. I'm like, oh, I can't wait for mine. Oh, yeah. How is vaccine availability in um, where you live? Um, so they're rolling it out in a few different stages. The first stages are, um, you know, frontline workers, nurses, that sort of thing, um, uh, aged care, that sort of thing. And they're just rolling out the second stage of vaccines. Um, anyone who's eligible can just go to any doctor's practice, any GP, doesn't matter if they've been there before or not, they can go to the hospital, um, get the vaccine, which is really, really good. Um, so I know that you are a big advocate for mental health and kind of to segue, how do you think um, like living independently have affected your mental health, whether positively or negatively? Um, if you could talk about that. Um, so there's a couple different things that have sort of, I feel like if I was still living with my biological parents 
um, my mental health would be in a worse state than it is now. I'm not doing amazingly well, as you can probably, you know, deduct from a 17-year-old living on the street. But I feel that um, being isolated is the biggest thing because of my situation. I've had to drop to part-time school and remote learning. And so I don't have any contact with any people my own age. Um, and that sort of had a really big impact on me feeling isolated and quite alone. So do you go to therapy or um, do you have like professionals helping you right now or? Yeah, so I've been with um, a few different psychologists um, since I was 14, I think. Um, my family has a history with mental health. And so we figured, you know, why not get in early? So we did. Um, I think I'm with a very good psych psychologist right now. She's able to provide support um, specifically sort of directed at my situation. So the mental health team that I'm with are an outreach service team. So instead of me going into an appointment in an office and having to find money for transport, a way to get there, a way to get back, all of that sort of thing, um, they, they're a mobile outreach service. And so they come to me, they come wherever I am. They buy me a meal or a drink. We sit yeah. down, we talk and um, talk through whatever it is I need to and sort of look at different types of intensive therapies or whatever it is that I need. That's, that's amazing. How do they find you or like reach out to you or do you reach out to them? Yeah, so we just, um, I've been with a an organization called CAMS, which is Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, um, since probably June 2020. And um, through my connections with them, I've sort of explained my situation and they've put me onto the um, outreach service team. And so they just give me their phone numbers and give me a call whenever um, they want to have a chat or I call them um, whenever I'm in need of some help or some support and they um, come out to wherever I am. Um, along with like therapy, do you have any coping mechanisms that have been health healthy or not healthy? Which ones worked and which ones um, you think you would look back on and not repeat? Um, yeah, anything with um, substances that you wanna discuss about and where do you think they kind of stand in the world of mental health um I think that or just gonna put a quick trigger warning here because I'm gonna talk about self-harm a little bit um I used to um cut I used to be a cutter someone who um got released through that and the way that I managed to pull myself out of that spiral was by um using other like equally unhealthy coping strategies and so up until maybe a month ago or two months ago, I was coping pretty much solely through substance abuse. Um, since um, talking about it with um, my psychiatrist and everything, they put me through groups and everything and I'm doing a lot better now. But since talking to them, um, my strategies have pretty much been, I have three or four friends, maybe two or three friends that, are always going to be okay to be on standby for me to call and they're friends that I've had for a very very long time and so they know sort of 
how to help me out. And so it sort of helps with the isolation and the loneliness factor as well as whatever's happening in that one moment. How are those things um, interfering with your classes or maybe even finding work? How do you find like your mental health interfering with that? My mental health is relatively stable um, at the moment. It's been a very rough sort of last six months, but I've noticed that stopping smoking, stopping drinking um, has had an insanely, insanely big impact, a positive impact on how I'm able to function. Um, and I'm going to sound yeah. like every every sex ed teacher but it's it's not worth it I had a very very sort of expensive very debilitating addiction and once I got through that once I got past that um I was able to sort of reconnect with my sister I was able to look for work I was able to go back to school that sort of thing um which School finishing school, finishing year 12 is something that I've never had a doubt about doing. It's always been a thing I wanted to do. And sort of looking back, letting sort of substances take that away from me wasn't something that I was prepared to do. And so um, through therapies and that and talking it through and just um, that helped me quite a lot to get through it. Do you currently take classes um, in person or is it online? And what kind of, um, yeah, and what are your like plans for the near future? Would you, would you want to go to college or um, is that not the path? Um, in, in Australia, we have elementary school um, up until year six and then seven to 10 is high school and then years 11 and 12 are college. And then after that is uni or university. And right now I'm year 11, um, so first year of college. And the way that I've been thinking about school, because at the moment it's not something that I can give my full attention to. It's not my biggest priority. My biggest priority is my mental health and finding housing. Um, I've been doing part-time school. Um, I've been doing it remote learning just um, in the library on a laptop, that sort of thing. But because of my situation, different results, different trauma, different housing situations, different courses, all that sort of thing, I can't, um, I won't be able to get enough ATAR points to finish year 11 this year. And so instead what I'm doing is I'm pretty much doing a study year, I guess they call it. Um, I do, I see all the content, I work through all the content, but I'm not, um, I don't get exams um, because I'll be repeating year 11 next year so that I can do it um, to, you know, the best of my abilities instead of sort of a halfway job. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, is your, is your sister um, currently living with you or is she still living with your parents? Um, she's asked me not to talk about her on the podcast, if that's all right. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, that's all good. So, if you're comfortable with sharing this, again, what has your experience with your own sexuality or sexuality in general been like? 
Um, so I, up until maybe 2018, um, I didn't really think about my sexuality. I just sort of, if I liked someone, I liked someone. If I wanted to be with someone, I'd ask them and it was pretty straightforward. But once, and I've always been a very, very strong advocate for the queer community, um, even when I thought I was a part of it. Um, I think that if I was going to put a label on it, I'd be pansexual. Um, I just, if I like someone, I like them. Um, at the moment, I'm in a relationship with um, a guy. He's, he's really great. He's very, very supportive. And we've recently sort of been talking about, you know, sexuality and different types of relationship. And um, we decided that um, both of us were happy to turn our monogamous relationship into a polyamorous one. Um, if the opportunity sort of presented itself. I've been talking with a girl that I like. He's very, very supportive. He teases me and laughs at me when I get flushed or embarrassed from a text from her or something like that. It's it's a really wholesome sort of... It's um, great. <laughs> but, yeah, I I think that, yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing pretty well, which is really, really good um, and pretty sort of unexpected due to the circumstances, but I'm glad. Yeah. Has your self-confidence changed as a result? I think figuring out that I had the ability to like more than one person at a time sort of made sense to me. Um, and so, I, you know, sort of year eight, maybe sort of was researching, looking around kind of like, you know, the other people that find themselves attracted to more than one person at once romantically. And once I found the polyamorous community and once I found pansexual community, I felt a lot more sort of validated and able to kind of, um, I guess, express how I felt because the being um, acknowledging that I'm part of the queer community sort of gave me a lot of um, language to use to describe how I was feeling about certain things, which really, really helped with confidence. Is there a large career community where you live? Um, definitely, there is definitely a large queer community um, within my group of friends. Um, but I don't know if that's because I gravitate towards queer people or if um, it is actually just really common to be gay, but... Um, I don't know. We're a very, Canberra seems to be a very supporting um, community from my end, but on my end, I'm not the most disadvantaged queer person um, you could find. So I know that um, in sex ed, the sort of information isn't up to date. It isn't very um, professional and they don't really talk about anything else other than heterosexual and heteronormative sort of sexual activities, which is something that I know we need to work on. But as, as far as um, people being supportive, it's been pretty easy talking about it and, you know, existing as a queer person. So do you feel like it's um, more, do you think that it's safer expressing your sexuality on the internet or off the internet? Um, for me? Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think, I'm not sure. It just doesn't really 
come up in conversation. It's not sort of, hey, I'm Aisha, I'm pansexual. Um, whereas online, for example, putting pronouns and sexualities in your bios on Instagram or, in t- or on TikTok or whatever it is, um, I find it to be a lot sort of easier to just sort of make it known that you're part of um, the queer community but not kind of shoving it down their faces. So I, I think that it's a lot easier online. You said that you um, don't feel like there's a threat towards you just because you're LGBT or you're part of the LGBTQ community. Um, but do you feel like for other people, if there are these threats, is there enough support for the community in your area? Um, I can't really talk on behalf of other people, but I know that if I've... I personally was ever um, feeling threatened or feeling vulnerable purely because of my sexuality. Um, I feel that I personally would know where to go and what to do, but I can't say that I know for a fact that um, other people um, in my situation yeah. or similar situation um, would know where to go. And, and do you think there's still heavy stigmas around the community in um, Australia or Canberra? Um, I think that there's heavy stigmas around um, teaching the right sort of amount. Like, let me try to rephrase that. I think that everyone in Canberra is relatively supportive, um, especially on the outside. But once it comes to sort of realistic expectations on um, teachers and on peers and sort of um families I think that everyone is at the very least supportive as a show but then a very very uneducated on certain topics that we do need to talk about that's that's really interesting I guess you mentioned about how um if you ever felt unsafe purely because of your sexuality there are support systems in place for you to reach out to have you ever felt um, unsafe or were there any problems that you encountered purely because of your gender or as a teenage girl in today's society? Um, I, I don't exactly like saying this, but I feel like every teenage girl has some experience or some story to tell about sexual harassment, sexual assault, or just not being deemed good enough or just whatever it is. Um, I've had a lot of experience, especially as um, at the moment, I'm very vulnerable due to um, mental health, being a girl, being homeless, all of that that sort of builds up. Um, I think that, I'm not sure, I think everyone around about our age that's a girl has some sort of story to tell about sexual harassment or being told they're not good enough because of their gender or whatever it is. Um, And if you feel comfortable sharing, what has your experience been like with sexual assault um, as a 17 year old girl? Um, I've been sexually assaulted a lot of times. Um, Not always the same scenario sort of. Um, So for example, at parties, if I'm under the influence, I don't exactly feel safe to be there on my own. If I don't know that I have a friend that's with me that is sober that can look after me and hold my drink or cover it for me. 
I've been roofied, I've been raped, I've been harassed, I've been assaulted. I think that as as far as living in this society goes, I can't really speak for the general population, but I can speak from the percentage of people that are in my situation. It's incredibly difficult trying to navigate the world and having to look over your shoulder every 10 seconds because you sleep outside on the ground where junkies and heroin addicts come and hang out frequently. So I know personally it's terrifying and I hate it, but yeah. And what was it like dealing with the aftermath? Did you receive enough support? Um, for majority of my assaults, I didn't say anything about it just because I couldn't really guarantee my protection or my safety if there weren't restraining orders put in place. Um, one of my, I guess, one of the people that assaulted me um, told me that if, you know, I told anyone who he was, then, you know, his group would, like, beat my sister up or something. I don't oh remember God. what it was. But um, but that sort of thing makes it very kind of difficult to know what to do because I'm not in a good situation. If he knows that if if he knows that I've told people who he is and what happened, but the police can't guarantee my protection, then I'm in a worse off spot than I was before I told the police. Um, my most recent um, assault, I did go to the police. I went to the hospital. I got DNA swabs and everything. And the care that I got was really quite good at the hospital. Um, so it can swing both ways. It just, it really depends on your luck, I guess, on which, which officer or which nurse you get. Um, so kind of like similar to that, I guess, what was your experience like dealing with rape culture? And this kind of goes along with the standards being put on um, young women, like, and victim blaming. What has your experience, general experience or specific been like dealing with this? Um, definitely when um, I was in sort of year eight, year nine, there was a lot of um, people make jokes, people laugh about it. Um, and I think that as you get older, it, um, it gets a bit better, sort of um, people become more aware after being educated, but the problem is that they're not insensitive, they're just uneducated and there's sort of nothing you can really do about that if it's not coming from teachers and authoritative figures. Um, rape culture in Canberra, I've, if I'm honest, I thought that um, as much as I'm an advocate for feminism, human rights and everything like that, I, it's sort of like, that that doesn't happen to you until it does and so I sort of never really expected that I would be roofied that I would be assaulted that sort of thing and so until it happens to you you can only sort of sympathize or empathize to a certain degree which I think is not something that we should have to deal with or have to put up with um, and it's very frustrating to sort of have to 
sometimes just sit by and listen to people make jokes about something that's traumatized you yeah um I mean, I guess, again talking about body image issues and expectations on young women have you ever dealt with um I guess self-confidence issues or body image issues or are you currently dealing with any um I had um disordered eat or I still have disordered eating which is not about um body image but I am very sort of aware because I do have to I have to track my weight I have to track what I eat that sort of thing just to stay healthy and so it's made me very kind of aware like when I go to research um calories and different healthy foods and all of that sort of thing um sort of the blogs and everything that pop up that talk about um what a good weight is and that sort of thing that aren't from medical professionals really sort of I've been a very confident person in my body since I can remember but recently I sort of have been a little more self-conscious not because of anything that anyone said to me or done to me but because of sort of social media presence that I hadn't noticed before because I wasn't on that side of the internet at that point yeah Um, I know that it does play into a lot of um sort of supermodels looking perfect for want of a better word and all of that sort of I don't know you get you get taught about it in school but again it's sort of just a baseline kind of you don't you don't have to be skinny to, to be pretty you can be healthy if you're fat and then they kind of just ended it at that but never really went into any sort of proper education about it and what healthy actually looks like do you think that like the presence of social media of like the influencer the um model like perfect body kind of thing do you think that that presence has grown stronger in recent years especially like um, towards oh sorry but like aim towards younger generations yeah uh, I definitely think that more people are trying to achieve that standard than before but I also know that a lot of um, companies are very very aware of this and very um, hesitant to promote unrealistic body standards which I think is really really good I do think that um like it doesn't matter what you want to do to your body so long as you're healthy and you're not forcing it on someone else um or telling them selling them a lie so if you get um a facelift just be honest that you got a facelift because otherwise it can put a lot of anxiety and pressure on um, young people who see that and go well that's what I should normally look like um, without any work being done that sort of thing um and kind of like through that along that um what do you think are like the certain expectations and standards that's placed on young women to act do look I mean you already touched on look but um kind of like act and do um I've sort of at my high school um we had a lot of um you know like motivational speakers and that sort of thing come in to talk to us about body image and health and sort of um society and all of that kind of thing but I think that something that they didn't talk about was um how much we still 
a kind of resorting back to because um, I feel like we were making some progress for a little while um, on women in STEM, women in really high ranking, powerful jobs and that sort of thing. But the second that any feminist movement gets some attention, there's always a group of bigoted, misogynistic men that come to bring it down and then we start back over. So I think that it's really quite up and down. I know that it's definitely less of an issue than it was, say, 10 years ago, but it, we're far from done. We're far from um, having to stop fighting, which is something that's really quite frustrating and ridiculous. We shouldn't still be having to fight for these things, but we make some progress and we lose some. Yeah. Uh, I know, I think you use social media as a way to kind of tell your story and express yourself and um, like get your word out there. Um, if there's anything you want to say or tell. Um, uh, yeah, it's I, just anything. I use social media to sort of like promote my GoFundMe, let people know what I'm going through so that either they can support me or they can reach out to me and I can give advice if they're in a situation that I have experience with. Um, a lot of my problems have been caused by social media as well, though, um, because everything you put out there stays there, obviously. And like I said, with the court case, for example, um, it's it's very difficult to kind of find the right line between posting something so that people are aware and posting something um, that didn't need to be posted or that no one really needed to know about. Um, I share a lot, especially about my mental health um, through Instagram or Snapchat and TikTok. Um, but if I'm going to use this podcast to say something, it's just try to... I guess, help out people if you can afford to. I'm not talking about just money. If you can, you know, ask people how they're going, if you can genuinely be there for someone, I think that a lot of people's problems would just disappear if everyone was kind to each other. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I guess I just wanted to, well, we don't have any more questions, but I guess... Um, how can people help you or how can people just help in, in general? general? Yeah. Um, that could be yeah, mental health or um, living without a parental guardian, um, substance abuse. Like how can people help in general? Um, I think that if, if you want to help someone um, in my situation, something this is everything I've said is just based off personal experience and I'm not talking for everyone that's in this situation but personally even if you can't for whatever reason um if you can't let someone stay on your couch or you can't donate money that's okay just I don't know being honest and being kind is sort of like anything you can do is appreciated because we do feel like we don't have very much, but when someone says some kind words or say that 
um, yeah, you can come to my place, you can have a shower, that sort of thing, like small gestures kind of fuel me forwards quite a lot. For now, I know you're focused on getting housing and um, finding a place to stay semi-permanently, but um, do you have any hopes for the near future or um, anything you kind of want to really do or accomplish? Um, if I'm completely honest, I haven't had the time to be thinking <laughs> kind of far ahead, like more far ahead than yeah. next week. But <laughs> if I if I kind of go back to what I um, wanted to do before I moved out of home, I have a super strong interest in biology, in sort of um, forensic sciences, natural sciences, marine biology, that sort of thing. And I would love to be able to um, go to uni and study that um, at a time when I'm able to give it full energy and full effort. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Oh, I really hope everything goes well for you. I hope you get the housing. I hope you do get um like completely better. And I'm so proud of you. Like genuinely. Me too. Thank you. Balls of steel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I miss you. I miss all those um afternoons I miss... in the play with Simone oh or Simon or Oh my god, I miss Hanoi so much. Yeah. If if you could, would you come visit? 100%. If I had the money and covid wasn't a thing, I'd I that's the first place I'd be flying. Yeah, you could just crash upstairs. Like <laughs> yeah. There's, there's this empty room. It's a little sketchy, <laughs> but um yeah. <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. Thank you well, so much. Thank for you doing so this. much for your time. Yeah. It's okay. Really Thanks for having it. me on the podcast. I'm Anna. And I'm Nancy. And this was The Minority Experience. <laughs>